You're listening to The Exchange on Siouxland Public Media. I'm Mary Hartnett. Today in the program, in the midst of yet another winter storm with freezing temperatures and several inches of snow, we look at some of the effects of that severe weather. Some of us wonder if the large amounts of snow will help ease the long drought in northwest Iowa, and the answer is maybe. And the high winds of recent storms have had no serious effect on wind energy and wind turbines. In fact, the high wind speeds produced a record amount of energy. We'll have details. Also, how low-income residents of Woodbury County can get help paying energy bills and weatherizing their homes. And there's help for teenage girls who can't afford the period products they need. But first, Siouxland is being hit by another winter storm with high winds, frigid temperatures, and several more inches of snow on top of what fell last week. The question is, does all that snow add up to enough moisture to put a dent in the drought in northwest Iowa? State climatologist Justin Glisson says the moisture from storms can help, but it's kind of tricky to figure out how much. Any moisture helps. Now we have to consider soil temperatures because much of the northern, I would say two-thirds of the state, uh, uh, we have frost depth of anywhere from five to nine inches. So um, the snow is sitting on top of frozen soil, so it's not really infiltrating. Next week we're going to get into the the 30s and uh, see some melting what this will have an impact on our stream flows. We'll see some, some runoff of melting snow uh, in raise some of the inland streams because uh, this is the 186th consecutive week of D1 drought somewhere in the state, and northwest Iowa was uh, particularly dry for the first three years of the drought. Now it's among the wetter parts of the state, if, they're, if you can say wetter parts of the state. But... Um, Yeah, we had some removal of of some drought, or we had some improvement of some drought in southeastern Iowa on the the depiction this morning, and that comes from uh, a few things. December was the third warmest December on record with 151 years of records, and also we were about a half an inch above average in terms of precip. Uh, so the rainfall events that we had towards the end of the month uh, were able to infiltrate into the at least the shallow profiles, and wetter soils don't freeze as deep or as fast. So that has implications on spring thaw or if we have thaw events during the winter in which we can see some at least shallow infiltration of melted snow. So yes, uh, overall, any moisture will help at least alleviate some drought conditions or hold things status quo. But we really need rain, right? Yes. And as uh, Secretary Neg, the Secretary of Agriculture, says, snow is slow-motion rain. So we will get moisture out of it. But if you're you're talking about <clears throat> in the deepest snowpack is in eastern Iowa, 20 inches, generally you'll get two or three inches of liquid equivalent out of that. So um, the more snow, obviously, more water you get out of it. But uh, – uh, you don't get a lot of water out of snow. Now, I hate to ask about the current weather, but looking ahead, I mean, do you see more of this this month, or can you tell? Or <clears throat> If you look at the short-term outlooks through the end of the month, we're shifting towards higher probabilities of warmer temperatures, uh, but we still do see an elevated uh, wet signal. Now, on the temperature or on the precipitation side, January being the coldest month and in in one of the driest months of the year, it doesn't take a lot to get 
above or below average. But if you look at those short-term outlooks, six to 10 days, which gets us towards the end of January, anywhere from a 60 to 70% chance of above average temperatures and a pretty good wet signal as well. So it doesn't suggest the type of the bomb cyclone, the second system that we had uh, last week, uh, but definitely it, it's looking like rainfall and snowfall potential over the next 10 to 14 days. This kind of snow, it reminds me of when I was a kid or like 40 years ago, you know, and there'd be so much snow in the winter. Um, is this more like it should be? No, well, that's, that's a great question. So the trend in terms of snow behavior has been less uh, smaller events, like one or two inches every few days or every, you know, every week. Um, <clears throat> so less of those are less frequent events. But when we do get an event, we get a lot of snow out of it, five, six, ten inches out of it. And that has been the trend. Also, winter is the fastest warming season. So we've actually seen a, de- a decline in the amount of snow that we get in winter, and it's shifted um, not substantially towards liquid rainfall or, or wintry mix, but we have noted um, snowfall trends are on the decline. Yeah, how we feel about it is not necessarily the truth of it, maybe. And that's, you know, you use that analogy for the temperature. We were um, 10 degrees above average in December, and even with the um, Arctic intrusion that we had from the polar vortex destabilizing, we're still, you know, let me double-check these numbers, but we're still running above average temperature-wise across the state. Let me pull these real fast. Nope, nope, we're right right around average, so six-tenths of an inch or six-tenths of a degree below average um, from being 10 degrees above average in December. So um, we are seeing more um, variability in the storm track, so events are happening faster or we're, we're getting locked into more persistent behavior. So that's where you see that wave train last week bringing one system through and then the second system basically following the same track. That was state climatologist Justin Glisson talking about how the recent storms and heavy snowfalls in northwest Iowa could be helping out with the long drought that we've been going through. Well, it looks like some of the storms we've had in Iowa over the last few weeks has led to perhaps a little bit of easing of the drought and maybe another upside. Storms have led to record wind turbine electric generation for mid-American energy. Jeff Greenwood is the spokesman for the state's largest utility company and says the heavy winds that accompanied the storms last week helped create an electric generation record. It may surprise people, but we generally generate more energy in the winter months than we do in the summer months. And that's because wind tends to be a little bit stronger in the winter months and and even more so in the spring. So we're generating wind night and day. And as we all remember from last week, we had a couple of winter storms that blew through Iowa, literally. And uh, we had a lot of snow followed by a couple of bouts of very strong wind. And that wind is something that we harness and we turn it into wind energy. And interestingly, last Friday, we set a new uh, one-day all-time daily peak for our wind generation. So during that day, we generated 158,000 megawatt hours of energy, and that's all from the wind. So uh, it was a, a very strong week, particularly on Friday. 
Can the winds ever be too strong for the turbines to work effectively? I mean, what do you do then? That can happen. And if the winds get to a point where it is too strong, when there's too much of a good thing, we can uh, turn our wind turbine blades and make sure that they're not blowing quite as hard and make sure they're not turning quite as hard. So we've got a way to turn the pitch of the wind turbine blades to kind of tone things down a little bit if it gets to that point. That's That would be an unusual situation, but it is something that we can do if we need to. But what about ice? I mean, can that stop the blades from working as well if they get too heavy with ice? I mean, when the ice builds up enough, you know, that kind of thing? Ice is a problem for us, and that is if we get a buildup of ice on wind turbine blades, that can create an imbalance. And so our equipment has sensor equipment, uh, sensoring equipment built into it, and if our wind turbines detect that there is an ice buildup, then we shut them down, and we shut it down until we know that it's safe to begin operating again. So if it's just snow blowing, if it is just plain old wind in the wintertime and it's cold, that's okay, but if it's ice, then that causes a bit more concern, but that really wasn't as much of an issue last week. Uh, we just really experienced a lot of snow in Iowa, and snow itself doesn't really cause us problems. Yeah, it's hard to think about someone going up there in a storm and doing something about ice on on the, the wind turbines, and it is something that uh, obviously it gets warmer and the ice melts. Is that you just do that, or is there anything else that, that happens? Yeah, no, it's kind of like uh, like your driveway. When when there's an ice buildup, we hope that the sun comes out and warms things up a little bit or at least radiates some heat onto those blades and melts the ice for us. So we'll let nature take its course, and when it's safe to resume operations, then we do. I saw online that the turbines are rated to work in temperatures down to 22 below zero, which is kind of amazing. When we order our wind turbines, we do so with the expectation that they work year-round. I mean, after all, this is Iowa. We're in the Midwest. We get every type of weather you can think of, whether it's extreme heat in the summer or extreme cold in the winter. And so as part of our investment, we pay a little bit more for what we call winter packages. And these winterization packages uh, help us operate wind energy even in extreme cold. So most manufacturers design wind turbines to operate down to at least 22 below zero. But we've had many wind turbines operate as cold as minus 35. And so we want to make sure that we are generating wind energy throughout the year since We've invested on behalf of our customers, and we want to make sure that, that that investment delivers. And so we expect our wind energy to deliver year-round, and it does. So would you say wind turbines are pretty reliable? Uh, if, if you look at those and maybe you look at solar, uh, are turbines something that are pretty much going to work most of the time? They do work most of the time. I mean, obviously, we need wind, and if it's uh, a still day, then you know that's the uh, that's the Achilles heel. But uh, by and large, here in Iowa, we constantly have wind, and some days it's blowing more than other days. But 
you know, Iowa has a tremendous wind resource. We've got um, an area to the west and to the northwest of the state that goes up into Minnesota and into the Dakotas that is just year-round an excellent wind resource. And so that's why you see wind energy here. We do have some solar assets that we have installed and we will add to our, our solar portfolio. Um, but obviously, when the sun is not shining, uh, we have uh, either a reduced or uh, possibly no uh, solar resource. Uh, for example, in the middle of the night, the sun's not out and it's not generating solar energy, whereas wind is blowing day and night. And um, so, but solar also has its pluses as well. Um, you know, solar tends to do really well in the summer months. In the late afternoon when people are running their air conditioners, that's when solar is really cranking out energy here in Iowa. And that is the, the real plus for solar. Wind is a resource that we can generally count on as long as there's some wind blowing year-round and day and night. That was Jeff Greenwood, spokesman for MidAmerican Energy. He says the company's turbines produced 158,000 megawatt hours of wind energy during recent winter storms. He says that's at least the amount of energy MidAmerican customers would use in a day. Greenwood says customers may see a higher heating bill than normal for the month, but that depends on how temperatures play out the rest of January. With the consistently cold temperatures this January and the inflation-driven price of heating, some of us might need a little help meeting the costs. And that is where the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program comes in. LIHEAP is funded by the Department of Health and Human Services through the Iowa Department of Health and Human Rights. It was established to help qualifying low-income homeowners and renters in Iowa, pay for a portion of their primary heating costs. Assistance is based on several factors. LIHEAP is administered in Woodbury and Monona County by the Community Action Agency of Siouxland. Katie Logan is the development director for the CAA. Logan explains how LIHEAP works and how you can find out if you are eligible. Right now, we are taking applications for the program either by appointment, whether in person or over the phone. Um, you can apply online or you can even mail in your information to us. Um, all eligible households are determined by the federal poverty guidelines, which can be found on our website. It is up to 200% of the federal poverty level for um, any household to be eligible for our LIHEAP program. And then also uh, with that comes uh, the award amount, I should say, is based on the number in your household, if you have any children under the age of five, if you have any disabilities. There's certain criteria that determine the actual award amount that each household receives. So not every household gets the same bulk amount. It is based on what your heating type is and um, where you live and who your vendor is, things like that. Um, usually, our households um, receive anywhere from about $300 to, I think it's up to $900 this year, depending on the gas type and all of the things that I mentioned. So it can be really, really beneficial to families to help them out with their winter heating costs. Um, we still do encourage all of our eligible households to still make payments on their utilities, whether they're receiving our assistance or not, um, because we don't want anybody to fall behind by the time the moratorium ends. 
Um, do you know anything about the winter moratorium? No, I was going to ask you about that. I, I've heard of it, but I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't really have the information. So um, in the state of Iowa, if anyone who applies and is deemed eligible for the LIHEAP program is um, falls under our moratorium, which prevents people from being shut off until April 1st. So it can be really helpful that when you apply for this program, you get the bulk payment to help with any past bills that you have or any bills going forward, but then you're also protected. So if you can't pay your bills for a couple months, we'll help you with that assistance, but then you also have a little bit of leniency to have some time to pay off those bills before the shutoff actually comes in April. Do you know how many... It can help a lot of families out. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um do you know how many uh, families, how many households take advantage of LIHEAP in Woodbury County? Yeah. So last year, um, because the LIHEAP season always runs from November 1st to April 30th, last year's season, we helped over 3,000 households in Woodbury County. Um, this year, we're anticipating that we're going to be right around the 3,000 mark, if not a little bit above it, around probably 3,250. Um, would be our best guess for right now is where we are at in the season. Do you think the rising price of, of energy, gas, electric, paying those bills has gotten even harder? Do, do you find more people asking about this? Yes, yes. We, um, every single year, because inflation has not gotten any better since COVID, every single year we have had an increased call volume, um, asking many questions, which is why, um, you know, we only also have so many um, intake workers that can do appointments with people. So we heavily push um, if you are able to fill out the application online and submit all of the required document online. It is so much faster because our um, our intake workers can just go through and review it and you get your award amount right away. Um, that's the other thing I should probably note about this program is that when you apply, if all of your documentation is with you when you apply that we need, you will know exactly how much you are awarded by the end of the appointment or um, once we can review your online application. So it's, it's almost instantaneous as soon as we have the correct information. And then from there, we will call any utility vendors to let them know that you have been approved for whatever amount of money you've been approved for and that you are protected under our moratorium. Because everybody always wonders, you know, it's a state program, when is the money gonna get here? The money does take, you know, sometimes up to a month to actually get to the um, energy companies, whether it's Mid-American or, um, you know, even we have a couple that uh, use like oil and uh, gas heat for like propane. So those vendors will just take our word and say, we will not shut them off. We know the money's coming, and then it will just get credited to your account. You also have a weatherization assistance program. Um, I was reading online that someone will come into the house and, and look at where maybe you would need some more insulation, where you need to kind of kind of close those gaps. Yes, yep, to make the home more energy efficient. Um, our weatherization program runs all year long, um, but we utilize the list from last year's LIHEAP eligible applicants, the list of homes that we 
um, go through and tour and um, try to weatherize every year is determined by the state. So they take all of the LIHEAP eligible households from the previous year and they put them in order based on highest need to least highest need. And we just go down the list and cold call, you know, households and say, look, we, the state said that your house is of a certain age and hasn't been renovated and hasn't been looked at. Would you be interested in our service to come out and help with that? So this weatherization program, people will come in, go through your home and say, well, you have heat going out here, you have cold air coming in here, uh, and then you need to have someone come in and fix that, and apparently there is money to help with that as well. How does that Yep. Um, every household is you know, unique to its own, so we tailor whatever services we need, but then we work with contractors to um, repair any furnaces that we see that need repaired. Um, we have, we've even put in, you know, new shower heads for them and that's all covered underneath our weatherization program. Anything that we would do, um, for any improvements would be covered by us. It wouldn't be something like we'd just tell you that you need this done and then you have to pay for it. It's just, we would take care of that if we came across something and you were eligible in that household up to a certain price limit. And I don't, I can't quite remember what the, the price limit per household is, but yeah, I mean, so the idea is to help prevent people from having to overspend in coming years. They can fix those weatherization issues. The whole purpose of that program is to make homes more energy efficient so that hopefully you aren't spending gobs and gobs of money just to keep your house a normal temperature because you're losing all your heat. That was Katie Logan, the development director of the Community Action Agency of Siouxland. The Community Action Agency administers the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, or LIHEAP. She says it operates from November 1st through April 30th. Priority is given to those age 60 and over or with a disabled person in the household. To find out more and to see if you are eligible for LIHEAP assistance, you could go to caasuland.org. Support for The Exchange comes from Gregory Giles, investment advisor representative with Legacy Financial LLC in Sioux City, serving the financial planning and investment needs of clients since 2004. Information about Legacy Financial and Greg Giles is available at LegacyFinancialLLC.com. Financial planning and advisory services offered through RDA Financial Network. It's tough sometimes to be a teenage girl, especially when you need period products but can't afford them. That's why the Junior League of Sioux City is working with school nurses in the area to reduce period poverty, defined as the lack of proper feminine hygiene supplies because of financial limitations. The effort is called the Period Pantry Project. Kayla Kellen is with the Junior League of Siouxland. She says some teenage girls miss one day of school per month because of period poverty. One day of school doesn't sound like a whole lot, but when you multiply that by every 28 days or so, um, it adds up over the school year. So we want to make sure that no girls are missing out on school 
activities or even earning wages because they don't have access to the products that they need. So uh, the Period Pantry Project uh, collects donations and then you buy products and you distribute them to Siouxland area schools. We do, yes. We are currently distributing to the Sioux City Community School District uh, middle and high schools. And um, next week, we are branching into the South Sioux community, um, middle school and high school. What have you heard back about the reception for this or maybe like how much the project, I'm sorry, about how much the products are being used? We work closely closely with the school nurses and so far the response has been great. Um, When we made our first um, distributions to the school, um, everybody was super grateful and excited to be able to offer this to uh, the girls in their school. A lot of times the school nurses will have to purchase these products themselves, which gets expensive. And um, we are happy that we are able to fulfill that need. Mm. It is just one of those things that is a, is, is a constant need. And yet often it's something that people are embarrassed to ask for or to talk about. It is. There's a definite stigma. And what we hope um, to include in this project is removing some of that stigma by just being open about it and letting everybody know that we are here to help. So as we continue to expand, it's not just going to be uh, school-age girls that benefit. We're hoping to branch into some community organizations as well and maybe some other businesses where you're out and about and you get caught and don't have time to go buy products or go home and change and get what you need. We're there to to cover it for you. Hmm. Are there any other projects or things you guys are working on that you think um, people would like to know about? We have a lot in the works right now. Um, This is kind of our signature project or what we hope will become our signature project. But we also are working on a prom dress pop-up store that's going to happen February 23rd at our Discovery Shop. And we have collected prom dress donations and are still collecting prom dress donations to um, sell to girls who may not be able to afford a brand new dress. They can get it at an affordable price. And um, so that's another way that we give back to our community and help empower women. So we give those um, young ladies a a good experience shopping for that prom dress and being able to participate in this rite of passage. That was Kayla Kellen with the Junior League of Sioux City. The league's Period Pantry Project is providing support in six Sioux City Community School District middle and high schools. On January 22nd, the project will expand and the products will be delivered to the South Sioux City Community School District. With the completion of the delivery, the Period Pantry Project will have distributed over 12,000 products. And one final note today, Governor Kim Reynolds has scaled back her proposal to overhaul Iowa's area education agencies. Last week, Reynolds released a plan to focus AEA solely on special education for children with disabilities. In a news release this week, Reynolds announced that based on feedback from parents, lawmakers, school superintendents, and teachers, she's dropping the idea of ending the AEA's general education services that focus on things like literacy, math, and science for all students. 
And also this week, news that two more fire dampers have been found missing from the new Woodbury County Law Enforcement Center. The Law Enforcement Center Authority announced two more fire dampers are needed in the new facility, and that's in addition to the 38 that were found missing in August. It was a major cause of a seven-month delay in that project. One fire damper, a motorized damper, and one diffuser were found missing, according to the Baker Group, a consultant for the project. After many months of delay, the Law Enforcement Center is expected to be finished and ready to use by April. That's it for this edition of The Exchange. Thanks to Steve Smith and Mark Munger. I'm Mary Hartnett. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend.